The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. All right, as you uh, are able to wrap up your hello, and and I... Yeah, I know it's hard when you get that moment. You just, some of you, I'm sure, right in the middle of just saying that important thing of what was going on in your week. So that means you got to stay after in fellowship to finish that thought. Uh, so I'm glad that we are all in the house of the Lord together this morning. Um, if you've been watching the news, you would see that Israel is in the news and they are uh, in conflict, they are at war. Um, and the reason I bring it up is because God has a, a special place for his people that bear his name. There's Christians all over the world, and we are grafted into the promises that God has given through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise of the Messiah, Jesus, who came to redeem us. We have new life because of what Christ has done. But the Israelites... Or the Hebrews are a very interesting people. In the scriptures, we see that God has called them his own. They're the only nation on this earth that bear his name. And God has a special place for them. We've talked about this as we went through the book of Revelation. He has a special place for them. And in the last days, we'll hear of brother turning against brother and nation against nation, and we'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, which we've had no shortage of those. But we also know in the last days that there will be a turning and the focus will be on Israel in the Middle East. And we also know that his spirit will be poured out and there will be a great turning of his people to Messiah, to Jesus, for salvation. But we want to pray this morning, or at least I would like to lead us in prayer this morning, because I don't want us to think that this is going unnoticed in the heavenly realms. We can so often get caught up in the natural, what is happening right in front of us in the physical, hey, this nation or this work thing or this conflict or whatever is going on. Like we can get into our day to day and we can be down here in the natural world and forget that what is happening is actually a striving in the heavenlies, and this is something that's been playing out. This is actually spiritual warfare that trickles down from the heavenlies and interrupts the natural world. And, and many who do not know God or see God, they, they just see what's right in front of them. But we should know better. We who know God, or rather, as Paul says in Galatians, who are known by God, we understand that this is a, a heavenly conflict. It's much greater than what we see on the news. There's principalities and thrones and dominions who are striving against the king of the universe. And we want to claim victory over that because Christ is victorious. He has all authority over those thrones, powers, and dominions. We want to pray that he would bring a swift end to their disruption that he would crush again the head of the serpent in this moment, and that he would bring peace to his people. Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 122, and then we'll pray. He says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord, for our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, and the tribes of the Lord as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions take, for my brother and companions sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let us go in prayer and seek the good of his people. Father, we 
we come to you in this moment knowing that there have been many lives lost already and many who are suffering and been afflicted by conflict and fighting. Many who aren't striving against one another but are caught in the middle having their life torn apart in this moment. Feeling fear and dread not knowing what will happen today. We pray for peace, God. We pray that you would bring a swift end to the enemy's schemes. That you would crush again the head of the serpent who is moving in the heavenly realms to bring destruction, to kill, to steal, and destroy. When we see these things, we know that you are good and we see what evil looks like, what rebellion and what sin has brought. We pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Pour out your Spirit. And as Paul prays in Romans, we pray today, pour out your Spirit on this nation, these people, that they would have a great turning. Bring revival in the midst of this. Give courage to those who bear your name to move into the hard places, into the fighting, and into those areas where the, the name of Christ needs to be exalted. Give them strength. Give them wisdom. Lift up your bride, the church, for those that are close May they walk into what you would have them to do as they can serve and as they can bring just the hands and feet of Jesus to that circumstance. And, and for your bride who is not close, may we just be on our knees praying for peace. We pray that for all the conflicts that happen around this world. We, but we look at this moment and we just, we just know that the end is drawing closer and closer and more and more people need to hear this good news. We say, come Lord Jesus in one breath and in another breath, Lord, I pray, tarry a little longer so we can get more people to hear the good news that the fullness of the world would hear, have a chance to repent and turn. But not our will be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray for the peace of your city, Jerusalem, as the psalmist gives us words to pray. And we lift this up to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, the one who has all power and authority over every dominion, throne, and principality that has raised its head against the truth. We pray in his name. And we proclaim his victory. We proclaim his authority and his power. So in the name of Jesus, bring peace. Amen. We are in Galatians and we're talking about the gospel of freedom, the gospel of peace. So if you have your Bible, Galatians chapter 5. Now, I, I was hoping to get through verses 1 through uh, 12 today. Uh, next week, uh, Pete will be with us again, and he'll preach 13 and following. But to be honest, I'm going to read this section, but I'm really only going to spend our time in the front half of it. And we're going to be talking about this freedom that comes with the gospel. I really want to just uh, take some time just to uh, drill down on what Paul's really saying to us and to apply it. It's one thing to, to come to the scriptures and read the scriptures. It's another thing for the scriptures to read you. Have you ever heard that expression? That the scriptures should read your life. 
meaning they should be applied. They should come to bear. It's, it's one thing for us to study the historical context and everything going on and, and to gain understanding and knowledge that that is all good. We need to know what's happening here. But it's another thing to come to the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit of God to illuminate that Word and to make it living in us, for it to read us. So we come to Galatians chapter Five, and I'm in Ephesians, which is also a great book. Galatians chapter five, verses one through twelve. I'll read it, and then we'll we'll start to work on what the Lord has for us today. Starting in verse one, this is Paul writing again to not just one church, to many churches in the region of Galatia. So he's writing it to to many people. He says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persecution is, is not from him, or this persuasion, sorry, is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord for us. Verse 1, Paul says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set you free. For freedom. I think many feel like Jesus set me free so now I can do these things. He set you free to make you free that you would be in his presence, that you would have a relationship with him. For freedom, Christ has set you free. It was his mission. That's why he came. Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19 says this. This is Jesus speaking. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to, to free, to make them free, set at freedom, liberty, those who are oppressed. We were all oppressed by sin and death and the curse that came through Adam to all mankind. And he came to set us free. It's, it's so much more, though, than just, I have freedom from sin. Yay, hallelujah. I, yes, yay, hallelujah. But it's so much more. 
I think we look at this and we think, okay, well, I got Jesus in this box and he gives me heaven and I got freedom from sin and then I got this box and this is where this part of my life is lived and I got this box and this is where this part of my life is lived. Men, you know what I'm talking about because we can only do one thing at a time. Ladies can do all of these boxes at once, but we, we move from box to box, right? But I mean, we kind of do this with God. We just say, well, Jesus came so I'd have forgiveness of sin and I can have heaven. Okay, check. No, it's so much more. And it permeates all of your life. He changes everything. Jesus came to set us free. By his sacrifice, your freedom was purchased. It cost him his very life. The Lord of heaven took on flesh, became like us, but did not sin, goes to the cross and dies for you, dies for me. It cost him his very life to give us our freedom. Freedom from the punishment of sin, so we, we do not need to fear hell. If you're afraid of hell and you've received Jesus, I want to talk to you because Christ set you free so you would not have to fear hell, and death. There's no condemnation because he has taken your condemnation on himself. So he gives us freedom from punishment of sin. Freedom from the old life imprisoned to sin. Those old habits, those old ways, those old things that, that you do them and you hate them. He's setting you free from that. And if you do them and you're loving them, you need to repent from that because that's not the life he has for you. He sets you free so you can live a new life, a redeemed life. He, he's raised you with Christ and made you new. He's freed you from death by the hope of eternal life and abundant life. He's given you a new position. And it's not here on this earth. It's with him. He says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. A new position in his presence for eternity. He's freed us from the power of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Brothers and sisters, I, he's, we've changed masters and so often, I think we give Satan too much credit and too much authority and too much power. His back is broken. He has no claim on you. If you are Christ's, Satan has no claim on you other than what you give him, other than what you allow him into your life. It talks about footholds. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil a foothold. It's not just anger. It's unforgiveness in other areas of life where we can, we can open up doors to Satan and to the dark kingdom and allow them to come in and allow them to wreak havoc in our lives. And we have authority in Christ to repent and to confess those things and to close those doors and to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and to push out the evil one who wants to destroy your life. He's freed us from the power of Satan, from the power of sin. If we're struggling in those areas, we need, well, we need more Christ in that life in that area of life. We need to turn. We need to ask God, why am I struggling with this? Why am I loving this? Change my affections, Lord. He's freed us from the power of the kingdom of darkness, and he's freed us to be able to call God our Father and heaven our home. We're no longer orphans. We're children of God. For freedom, you have been set free. You have been set free to call him Father, to, to call out to God and know that he loves you as he loves Christ, the Son. The affections that the Father pours on Jesus Christ are the same love and affection he pours on you in Christ. It's hard for us to comprehend, but that's what the scriptures tell us. You're no longer orphans, you're his children. He's freed us 
from being an orphan to being a child of God. But Paul would not want us to neglect or shun the freedom that we have, nor would Peter. Peter, who fell into the trap of legalism. You remember that it was in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Uh, Peter and Paul have a confrontation. Why? Because Peter has fallen into the trap of doing the law again and separating from his brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what we read. Uh, it says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, now that's Peter, that's his other name, Cephas. He said, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So he was at liberty. He was in his freedom. He was, he was having meals with the Gentile brothers and sisters. He was not living by law. He was not trying to, to prop up the law. He was living in the freedom that comes in Christ. And so he had fellowship with them. He says, but when these men from James came, when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So what happened? He, he, he wanted to make sure that these guys looked at him favorably. He was worried about his reputation. He was worried about what people thought about him. How often do we do that? Jesus says, I've set you free for freedom so that you can have liberty with your brothers and sisters, that you can encourage them, that you can be with them, that you can have fellowship with them. He has set us free from the works of the law, and Peter fell into that trap. Listen, if Peter can fall into that trap, you and I can fall into that trap. We have to be aware that Satan is cunning and that he'll constantly say, you're not doing it right. You have to do it this way. Oh, no, it's not like that. It's like this. Oh, this isn't the right teaching. This isn't the right theology. This isn't the right, you just fill in the blank. He's going to do whatever he can. And what is his goal? To divide us from each other, to separate us, to make little camps and, and divisions. And he's going to say, yeah, that's the right group. And the other group over here is going to say, no, we're the right group. Peter fell into this trap. And Paul says, Peter, that's not the gospel. The gospel brings us together as one man. He tears down the dividing wall. And so Peter would not want us to fall into this trap either. So he writes this in 1 Peter 2.16. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He says, live in your freedom. Peter says it too. He's like, I, he has to learn that lesson. We have to learn that lesson. And sometimes we have to learn it again and again. He says, live in your freedom that Christ has given you. And he says, and live in your freedom not to cover up your sin. Because if you're doing that, if you're starting to hide, what have you done? You've created another legalism. You've created another law. You've put on a mask and you're saying, I'm playing the game and I look like I'm in liberty and I'm free and I'm doing what everybody else is doing. But honestly, I'm not walking with Christ. I have stuff going on on the inside of my heart that shouldn't be there. And I'm playing this religious game and it looks like I'm in liberty. But really what I'm doing is I'm just put on another form of legalism. He says, so not to cover your sin. He says, don't do that. He says, live as free ones who are servants of God, who serve God. Listen, servants hear their master and they follow him. Jesus, our good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. A servant is interested in what the master says. He follows the master. He's like, what do you want me to do? What do you want to say to me? I want to hear that. I want to do all that I can to please you. I want my attention focused on him. I want my attention focused on his will for my life. I want my desires to, to please the Lord. So this is what Peter's talking about. I want to please him. Why? Because in the end, I so much want to hear him say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. A servant 
their honor is to be named or identified with their master. You ever, you ever had uh, growing up a big brother, a big sister you kind of had to live up to? Because I did. I had a brother and a sister ahead of me, and everybody knew them in school. My brother and sister both, you know, they were great kids, you know, growing up. And it's like, as I'm following behind, it was like, oh, you're a Kaz Merrick. It's like, and I was little Kaz because my brother was Kaz, you know, so it was like, oh, little Kaz and Kaz and all that stuff and all that. But I had to live up to him, right? There's this sense, though, of how he went about his high school career with baseball and wrestling and all that stuff. I was kind of doing the same things that he was. There was a sense of pride. It was like, I'm a Kaz. Yeah, I'm Kaz. I, I, I loved when I stopped being little Kaz and just became Kaz. You know, it was nice. You know, big brother's gone. It's just me now. Yay, you know. But there's that sense of there was a name that was being built. It was important. Like, we wanted a good name, our family. That was important. Like, you know, we, we worked hard, and we, we were diligent in our studies, and we did all that. Like, we wanted to be recognized as being a good family and good athletes and good students, and there was, there was pride in that. How much more? How much more to be named by Christ? That you are his? The, the, the king of the universe is your father, and you're in his family. And there is honor in that. Like when people are like, who's are you? Whose are you? Who do you belong to? There shouldn't be like, oh, I belong to Jesus. You know, like you shouldn't be ashamed of that. You should be like, I belong to Jesus. I'm his. And he is mine. I mean, when we talk about the church being persecuted and, and the early Christians being persecuted, they said, this is my Lord and I will die for him. They were named by him. That was their honor. That was their glory. It was God. So the servant, his honor is to be identified with his master. I want to be identified with Christ. And the the early church, the, the slander that was made against them was what? A bunch of Christians, a bunch of little Jesuses, a bunch of little Christs running around. And the church said, yep. <laughs> they said, we'll take it because that's who I want to be like. That's who I'm looking to. That's who I'm identified with. That is my dad. That is my savior. So Peter says, live in your freedom as one who loves God, focused on God, following God, has your attention on him, and your honor is that he is yours he, and you are his. And while we're living as servants, ministering to a dark and dying world, we need to also remember something that is just so profound and beautiful. We need to remember what Jesus said to his people in John 15, 5. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I have the wrong verse on there. Awesome verse. He goes on to say that I call you friends. You were servants, but now I call you friends. In Christ, as he points out, we can overcome all these things. This is where freedom is, is in Christ. But he doesn't just call us servants. He says, now I call you friend because I tell you everything that the Father has told me. I share that with you. Everything that the Father says to the Son, the Son says to his people. And the Holy Spirit Poured into our hearts, speaks to our spirit, and tells us everything that the Father has for us. Yes, we are servants, but more than that, we are his friend. We are his friend. We are drawn near. We have relationship with God that is intimate and good. Jesus has sent us the Holy Spirit and God lives in us. I mean, just 
get that in our, in our minds. I don't know if we can fully, but okay, my body, this broken vessel is, is a temple for God, and it's imperfect because it's still in a fallen world, and this body is a fallen body. It's not my glorified body, but even so, he pours his Holy Spirit into me. He fills me with his Spirit, baptized me with his Spirit, and I have him living in me, and he calls me friend, and he does not want me to live in subjection to a lie, and he doesn't want me to be imprisoned again. He wants me free. Think about your friendships, your close friendships. What do you want for them? I mean, they come and, and, they, and they hang out with you and, and you go do things together and you share life and they say, here's what I'm walking through. And, here's, and you're like, yeah, well, you know. No, you're like, man, I'm going to pray for you. How can I help you? What can I do? You come alongside. You're like, I want good for you. And then when things change and you see good in their life, you celebrate. You're as happy as they are because they're your close friend. Jesus wants your transformation. He wants you to be made new and to walk in the new life that he has for you. He wants that more than you want it, to be honest. He wants that for us more than we want it ourselves. He says, I want everything for you. I want you to have it all. I want to give it to you. I want to see it manifest in your life. I want to see you transformed and changed. I want to just know you more and more, and I want you to know me more and more. And he calls us friend. He says, I don't want you to live in this broken stuff. I want you to have the new stuff, because that's what I came for, to give you a new life, to make you free. So Paul says, stand firm then. So back to our verse, he says, for freedom you have been made free. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. So Paul says, stand firm. He says the same thing to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 6, verse 13, he says this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The next verse starts with stand firm. So he tells the church there, he says, take up the armor of God and stand firm in Ephesians. Whose armor is it? Whose armor is this? It's God's armor. I often think of myself now when I read this verse, much like David and Saul, when David has to go fight Goliath, and Saul's like, take my armor, and he puts it on, and it just dwarfs him, and he's like, I can't wear this stuff, this is too big, you know? And I often think of myself like that. Like little Rob taking Jesus' armor, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put it on. He says, but you know what? It's a perfect fit. Why? Because he cares for me. He wants it to be a perfect fit. He says, this is my armor, and I am giving it to you so you can stand in this evil age. So you can stand in the trials. You can stand in the temptation. You can stand against all these things that try to imprison you. And you can walk in liberty and stand and be free. So he doesn't just free us. He enlists us. Why does he give us armor? Well, because he calls us into the work that he's doing. He enlists us in his work to save more people with him. We're on his team. It's like, yeah, yeah, freedom. Now I can go do stuff. And I don't have to worry about the enemy because I got all this armor. I'm going to go play pickleball. <laughs> Maybe. But while you're playing pickleball, he wants you to talk about Jesus. <laughs> you're on the team. You're on his team. I bet Jesus could play some pretty mean pickleball, don't you, Jeff? <laughs> anyway. We go to work with him. We set out to do what Jesus does, and that is to bring people to salvation. Paul says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. I took, I took some time and sat with that. Don't submit, is what I was thinking. Okay, wrestling season's coming around, and you got to tell those guys, like, hey, man, you're like, whatever, you just fight to the end. You fight to the end. Nobody should, you know, I remember being a wrestler and it was like, you know what? The most humiliating thing should, is in your life is some guy can hold your shoulders to the ground and you can't get up and move. 
Like that's like the most humiliating thing. You should never, ever have anybody ever do that to you. Like that was my coaches in the wrestling room, right? Like they just drill it into you. Like you do not want this. This is awful. Like it's the worst thing that could ever happen in your life. It's not the worst thing that can happen in your life. But that's how they make you feel, right? And so what is that thing? You never submit. You never quit. And Paul says here, don't submit to a yoke of slavery. Don't give in. Don't just give up and, and let the enemy have his way. Don't take his, his lies and say, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, I'll wear that. Yeah, okay, I'll believe that. Yeah, okay, I'll follow that. He says, don't submit. He says, stand against him. You have the armor. You're on the team. We're fighting for souls here. Don't give up. Don't give in. He will strengthen you. So if you don't like where your life is going this morning, if you don't like your circumstance in this moment, consider who or what you're yoked to. Just think about what's going on in your life. What, what lies are you believing? What things are you walking in? What's, what, why? Why? Why are you doing what you're doing? I can't answer that. You have to answer that with the Holy Spirit. Like, if you don't like where you are, the trajectory you're on, ask God, what am I doing and why am I doing that? And what am I believing? And what should I be believing? And how am I not standing? Help me stand. See, notice here, Paul's really putting it in our lap. He said, this is your choice. You can submit or you can withstand. He says, this is your choice. Those who are in Christ can live free or they can choose to live as slaves to the lies of Satan. He's talking about legalism here. You can choose to live legalism, guys. Like, you can totally submit to that. But that's a lie. And that's a different yoke. See, Jesus says this in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All right, when you think of a yoke, taking on a yoke, how many of you guys think Rocky IV, where he's up in the mountains and he's got the tree over his shoulders? Anybody? Yes. One honest man in the room. No, no. no like, that's what I would think a lot of times. Like, yeah, take the yoke. I'm like, yeah, you know, he's up the mountain. He's going through the snow. He's doing that. And I, you know, that's an awesome scene of training. But that is not the yoke that Jesus is putting on us. He is not weighing us down and burdening us and making us have to drudge up the side of a mountain, you know, in Siberia somewhere, in the snow. No, his yoke is gentle and light. It's good. The enemy puts a yoke on you that you can't bear. And sometimes we put a yoke on ourselves that we can't bear. The enemy doesn't even have to help us. We're, we're like, all right, I'm going to take that and put it on, you know. And he's just like, Jesus is like, put that down. And the enemy's like, yeah, see if you can do it, <laughs> you know. He's like, I dare you to put it on. And we're like, I'll take that bet. And then we walk around with this heavy burden. It's a lie that we're carrying. That's really what Jesus is saying. He's like, walk in the truth. The truth is light. The truth doesn't come with shame and guilt. The truth doesn't destroy you and tear you down. The truth builds you up. And by the way, your yoke fellow is Jesus himself. What better person to be yoked to than the Lord of glory? So here, Paul's saying, don't submit. Don't put on a different yoke. We, have all, we all have need to make a course correction. So that correction starts with first choosing who you will follow. So you can say, well, I follow Jesus already, Rob. Well, yeah, but do you follow him in all of your life, in all of your ways, in every area? You don't. <laughs> I'll just answer the question. Because I don't, and I won't until I'm perfected and in glory. And you won't until you're perfected and in glory. There's areas where we must continue to submit, continue to take off the old yoke, the old lies, and take on his truth. We all need course correction. And that first starts with choosing who you're going to follow. So as things come up in your life, you're like, I have a choice today. Who am I following in this moment? Am I following Jesus or am I going to follow Satan? 
That's, that's really the only choice when you boil it down, by the way. You can say, well, there's so many different things, many different ways. Yeah, but there's only truth and lie. And Satan is the father of lies, and so the father of lies is the one who gives you that yoke. Or you can follow Jesus, the Lord of light and truth. So Paul points out that in Ephesians 6.12, our, our battle isn't in the natural. He says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're, we're in a wrestling match. And you're like, well, I'm not a wrestler. Yeah, you are. In fact, I think that's probably the best sport on the planet is wrestling because that's the one that gets put up as how we are competing, really. <laughs> wrestling changes the world. I think of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord gets his name changed. It changed the course of history. Name another Olympic sport that changed the course of history. <laughs> Just wrestling. But we don't wrestle in the natural. We wrestle in the heavenlies. You wrestle in the heavenlies. So first, do you even recognize that? So often, I've lived my Christian life in seasons just here in the natural just trying to do the right thing, have the right, you know, speak the right way and act nice and do good and all that and yada, 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 you know, just be a good Christian guy, you know. And I get kind of looking down here and I don't start keep looking up at Jesus up here. We have to recognize that there's more going on around us. We're in a much greater theater than just the natural world. Any message that leads away from God and Christ, that is a lie. I mean, you just call it what it is. If there's a message that leads you away from Jesus, that's a lie. That's a deviation from truth. That's not what God wants for you. And all lies, like I said, are born from the father of lies. So the Judaizers, this message of salvation by works, that's what Paul's talking about here in Galatians. This, you can have grace with God by how you live and what you do. Like he will be pleased with you if you do the right things and you do it the right ways. And, and this, this is how you relate to God. So this message of salvation that they are giving is not from God, but it's from Satan. And while it may look good and may look moral, hey, there's religions and worldviews out there that, I'm going to be honest, they live a more upright, moral, pure, clean life than, than the church of Jesus. They shouldn't. We should be holy and pure. But there's other religions and other worldviews out there. And why do they do that? Because the enemy is so cunning, he will point to them and say, well, if Christians follow Jesus, look how they live, but look how these people live. So much better. While it may look good and moral, this legalism, make us look like good boys and girls. James chapter 3, verse 15 says it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's what he says about that worldview, that false gospel. It's not of the Lord. It's demonic. Verse 2. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I told you we're only going to be in the front half. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So if you choose to relate to God by your works, then Jesus' work on the cross is of no advantage. He said, you, you've changed how you're, how you're relating to God. You, you have a different path. Jeremiah 2.28 says this. He says, but where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you. In your time of trouble, for as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. Well, who can save you? Okay, you, you've, Paul's saying you're, you're taking a different route. You have Christ and grace over here, and you have the work of the law over here. And you're taking a different gospel, a different route. So who can save you? That's what he's saying to them. 
Christ is of no benefit to you because you're not coming to Christ. So you, who's going to save you when, when stuff happens in your life? Certainly not your captor. I mean, think about it. If the other worldviews are dominated by the prince of lies and the prince of darkness who has enslaved you, he's not coming to your rescue. He puts you in the prison. He's your captor. He doesn't want to help you. He doesn't want you to be free. So he's not coming to help. Well, you're not being helped by Christ because you've left him. What does that leave? Well, it just leaves yourself. Just leaves yourself. So think about it this way. How disillusioned people become when they think Christ is coming to save them and God is for them, but they don't even realize that they have set their feet on a different path with a different master. You want to know what legalism does? It puts you on a path where you think Jesus is in your corner. How cruel is that? You're like, I'm doing everything. I'm, 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 I'm reading, I'm giving, I'm serving, I'm doing everything. And, and it, Jesus has to talk to people at their judgment. They say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do these things in your name? Didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I do services? Didn't I do all these good works? Didn't I, you know, preach in your name? And he says, depart from me because I don't know you. Legalism is so cruel because it disillusions Christians or those who think they're Christians is how I should say it. They've been playing this religious game and they think Jesus is in their corner and he's not. And they're waiting for him to show up in their moment of need. They're waiting for God to break in and change everything. And what they need is to repent and turn and come to Christ so he is in their corner. And they're so disillusioned because then they look at Christianity, look at religion in general, and they're like, I don't know, I tried that Jesus stuff and he didn't show up. He didn't help any. It never changed my life. I didn't find what those pastors and Christians at the church there said. They just become disillusioned. Why? Because they think there is a, a savior in their corner who's never shown up. No, they need to turn to the Savior. Man, isn't Satan evil? He's like, oh yeah, I'll let you think Jesus is on your side all the way to the bitter end. And then you'll have to look at him and you'll say, Lord, where were you? And he says, well, I was here and you chose that. So, verse three, Paul says, you're obligated to it. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're obligated to what you choose. You're obligated to your vows. Whether you realize it or not, living apart from Christ under the law is making a foolish vow. You're saying, this is how I will relate to God. This is how I will live. This is how I'm choosing. I believe this. I'm making a vow to live this way, to, to put all of my hope and my trust in this. And God holds us to our vows. James chapter 5, verse 12, James says this, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So as we say, I want freedom, this morning, as we say, hey, I want more freedom in my life, and I want Christ, we have to break off old vows. Some of us are still living in old vows that we've made as the old man or the old woman. We're still living in old lies that we have committed ourselves to, that we have said, this is what I must do. Maybe you've said some of these things, you don't even realize you've made vows. I will never. You just made a vow. I will always just made a vow. We, we have to be careful with our language. And as you ask the Holy Spirit to show you areas of your life where you're not having break, breakthrough and freedom, he's going to show you areas of your life where you've made a foolish vow. And he says, well, you don't have freedom here because this is what I'm holding you to. This is what you've agreed with. So you need to break that. 
You need to say, I want more freedom, God. What, what am I walking in? What am I doing? And he will show you. So we have to confess our sin of living and relating to God in ways that he's never commanded us. It is a sin to make a foolish vow. You have to repent of it. You have to confess it, right? So confession is not just saying, I'm sorry. Imagine someone's arrested. They're in the interrogation room. Officer walks in, takes his legal pad. Write me your confession. Throws down the pen. The guy writes, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's not confession. That's what we think confession is, isn't it, in the church? Just tell God you're sorry. No, no, tell God what you did. Tell God what you're believing. Tell God how you're living. Be honest with him. He can work with that. He will work with that. So confession is is turning to him and saying, this is what I believe to be true. This is the vow I made. This is the lie I was living in. This is how I was walking. And I don't want that anymore. So I repent. I turn away from it. And I turn to your grace. I turn to you, Jesus. Forgive my sin. Make me clean again. And then we renounce those things. I renounce all the benefits I had from that. We don't do that. We need to do that. Why? Well, you know, with these vows and with these sins came corrupt pleasure, but it was pleasure. You renounce that. It's not what God has for you. Well, with it came a good reputation in the world. It's not about your reputation. Renounce that. Turn away from it. Well, you know, I, was, I had a lot of pride. Renounce that. It was money. Money came in as I did these things and lived this way. Renounce that. It's not about money. It's about having Christ. Anything that you have gained that is apart from God, you say, I don't want that anymore. Lord, I I reject that. I want to live different. That's what confession is. That's what repentance is. That's what asking God to bring forgiveness in your life looks like. I turn from it, and I want that stuff no more. I want Jesus. That's what you're saying. I don't want this anymore. I want Jesus. That's, is that the desire of your heart? Do you want Jesus above everything else? Above everything else? I confess that there are times I don't want Jesus above everything else. I want other stuff. And so when that comes to my heart and that comes into my mind and that shows up in my life, I have to say, Jesus, take this because I want you more than this. That's breaking a vow. That's turning to God. And we who are in Christ need to ask God if we have areas where we need to be... uh, purified, where we have partnered with lies and, and we must turn from them and walk in freedom. As a side note, if you're struggling with some of this stuff, like you're like, Rob, this is really, like this is new and I don't know even, I, I hear you saying it, but I don't even know how to do this. I don't know what to do. You know, our, our prayer team and many on our prayer team uh, would love to pray with you, talk with you. Like we want to walk you through this process. We want to help you. That's why we have the prayer ministry too, like to help you be free, to partner with you, to come alongside you, to pray with you. And if you know how to do this, brothers and sisters, and you're not on the prayer team, help other brothers and sisters be free. Verse four, he says this. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. He says, if we don't turn, then we're cut off from Jesus. We have a a block between us. We've fallen away from grace, or rather we're separated from grace. What Paul is saying here again is that it's not so much falling into immoral conduct as much as it is choosing a different way to relate to God. He says you're choosing a different path to the Galatian uh, churches. He's saying if you fall into legalism, you're on a different path and you've chosen a different way to relate to God. Choosing legalism is to relinquish grace, to let go of it as the principle by which you you desire to relate to God, and it's taking up justice and judgment. Well, what comes with justice and judgment? Wrath. 
Paul says, you were children of wrath, but now you're children of light. You're children of grace. Like, don't go back to this. Verses five and six, he says, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul says again, the transformed life is obtained by faith in Christ alone. That's it. By faith in Christ alone. That's the doorway. Jesus said, I am the door. That's it. And by the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have assurance of right standing with God. Paul says it's this way, Ephesians 2, 8. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. And again, he, it's, he says this in Romans chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. This is the New Living Translation. He says this, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. We receive the gift by faith. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. So a testimony of our heart is here. Mark chapter 9, verse 24. We have a man who has a, has a child who is being afflicted by a demonic spirit. He takes it to the disciples. He says, help my son. Jesus is on the mountain being transfigured with, with Peter, James, and John. And the other disciples are down here with this man and his son who's being afflicted. And they're trying to cast this demon out of the boy. And, and they can't do it. And Jesus comes down off the mountain, and the man says, I came to your disciples, but they couldn't help me. He says to Jesus, if you can do something. And Jesus says, if? All things are possible with God for those who believe. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. What a weird statement. I believe. I believe you can do it, but help me in my unbelief. That's, that's doubt. This is us. This man is us. Because there are times where we believe. I believe Jesus can do all that he's talked about here, but I doubt. So when we doubt, tell God. Again, he can work with the truth. Be honest. If ex it, it exposes what you really are believing inside. It exposes what lies have crept in. And then you can be transformed. He can grow our faith. So how do I know that I'm on the right path? Verse 6, he says, uh, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. How do I know that I'm on the right path? If you're growing in love. Are you growing in love? If, if your love for God and for others, including your enemies including those who have hurt you, is growing, then there's a good chance that you're walking in grace and in Christ. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another for the love from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So let us love one another. And Paul's confidence comes in verse 10. He says, to them, for you were called to freedom, brothers. I'm sorry. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. I have confidence in the Lord. Paul knows that we can change. Why? Because it's God who changes us. It's God who's doing the work. I have confidence in the Lord that when you turn and do all these things that we've been talking about to walk in freedom, Jesus transforms you. The Holy Spirit works in your life. God brings that transformation, that change. He will give you clarity. He will give you wisdom. And if you feel stuck, he also gave you the church. He gave us to each other, to love on each other and to help us get unstuck. And as well as, and most importantly, he gave you the Holy Spirit. 
That's the power of God made manifest in your life to transform your life. Will you stand and pray with me? And as we finish our singing today, I know um, it's a lot to take in. Uh, our prayer team will have at the end of service, a couple up here and a couple back here by the store, and they would love to pray with you. If any of these things have uh, just resonated with you and you just want someone to pray with you. Um, Let's pray together. Um, how many of you know, be thou my vision without the words? Good. Let's make that our prayer. Can you sing too? <laughs> All right. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life. Father, be our vision. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to share a, a quick testimony of something that happened um, uh, just a month ago. Um, and I've been, um, I've been waiting to talk about it for a month. Um, but it has to do with this because I've just been asking the Lord just completely, just completely change me, transform me. I want to love what you love. Um, I want to bless what you bless. And um, it's, been, uh, it's been a season, but um, it's been getting easier and easier to love what he loves and who he loves and to be gracious with, and generous with forgiveness. And um, that's been sweet. Um, but as I kept praying it, um, he revealed to me that there was something that I hated that he loved. <laughs> And that was my body. Um, 20 years ago, I fell into a hole, like a four foot wide hole, just stepped off the edge, didn't see it. I was distracted and there was no marking around it. And I just crumpled in the bottom. And for 20 years, I have had terrible pain um, in my SI joints, both of them. And um, I, have, I have sought lots of lots of different things um, to try to work on that. But um, I had just kind of come to this place where I figured this, this is what I, I'm going to live with for the rest of my life, and it's okay. I'm going to just keep loving the Lord and keep, and spiritually, those ways, I was doing really well. Um, but I, I couldn't get better. I couldn't even exercise. I couldn't even, I just, I kept packing on weight because I couldn't move and I couldn't walk. Um, I would walk a little bit and get too tired and just, and just give up. And, and it became a normal thing for me to just have to sit and have to always ask for help. And, um, and I just really hated that about myself. And so um, the night before my birthday, again, I was asking the Lord, just everything, everything in me, transform it to reflect you. I don't want any area of my life untouched. And I woke up at about three o'clock in the morning with this intense, intense pain in my hips, um, as bad as when I had first fallen 20 years ago. And I just said, God, take this from me. What is happening? And he said, I want you to recognize the lie that you're believing about yourself. And he said, I love every cell of you. And you don't. And so I just said out loud, I, I don't. I don't love myself. I hate the way that I am, that my body works. And I, I want freedom and I want to love everything you love. And so I just confessed that and I asked him to help me love my, my body and um, then just move in freedom. And, um, and the pain that I was feeling that had woken me up went away. And I fell back asleep. And the next morning, 
I got up and went to church, and we were at um, Bridgeway in Oklahoma City. And they have a prophetic ministry there in the in the morning service. They have a ministry time. And that morning, a guy came up and he said, one of the members of our prayer team asked for um, us to mention this morning that there is someone here with SI joint pain, and the numbers 17 and 9 are significant to them. Well, it was 917. It was my birthday. And I, I thought, I just remembered the night, the whole night. And I just, I was desperate for it. And I just raised my hand and I was just thinking, could, could that be me? And they said, can we just pray for you? And I, I stood and, um, and they prayed for me. And um, that pain that I have had for 20 years is gone. And I waited a month because I wanted to make sure <laughs> this praise is for him. And I want to tell you, I think it was more important to him that I was healed inside first. He was not just about healing my physical body. He wanted everything in me to reflect him. He wanted me to love what he loves. And, um, and so I just would ask you to be open to him, um, to rejoice in the things that he rejoices in and to, to love what he loves. But ask him, what, what are you agreeing with? What are you believing that is keeping you from true freedom in him? And um, I just want all that stuff. I want to know it so I can get it out of me. I want to I not agree with anything but his truth. I want to walk in his truth. And so um, I just praise him this morning. Thank you for letting me share that. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you. Please visit 